0: I am a long time user of a paper planner. I don't know if there's any paper planner users here. But I just, I love paper, and maybe it goes back to my early days working in commercial lighting. I did the whole, like, Franklin Covey thing. We had classes at my corporation that taught you how to use the planner system. Before that, it was like the day timer. You know, it just, once it gets in your blood, you know, you can never stop using it. Um, One of the things I like about the planner that I currently use is on the very first page, there's a list of all of my annual goals. I'm telling you a lot about myself here this morning. Um, List of all my annual goals. And part of the practice is that every week you go back and you look at those goals. And it's amazing how when I turn over to that first page, you know, week in and week out, it's like a light bulb comes on. And it's just a reminder of what I had committed to focus on for the year. That sometimes in the ebb and the flow and the tumult of the week can get so lost. Our current sermon series is entitled Rooted. It's like going back to that first page in the planter, in the planter, and reminding ourselves of what we're all about and what God has called us to do here at Oaks Parish. Just to catch you up to speed, three weeks ago we spent time looking at our mission which is to abide in Christ Jesus for the renewal of all things. And there we talked about union with Christ as the highest aim for all of us as human beings. In the second week, we looked at our vision that as we abide in Christ Jesus, we grow in the pursuit of God's justice and healing for the nations. And among the various theories of justice that are out in our culture today, our desire here at Oaks Parish is to understand God's vision for justice, which is an incredibly pervasive topic in Scripture. Last week, we began the deep dive into our core values, starting with the root of everything we are and everything we do here at Oaks Parish, which is the gospel of grace, And you can always keep that picture of our core values in your mind by envisioning an oak tree that we want to be deeply rooted in the gospel of grace. And as we do so, we're nurtured, we're nourished to grow up in a particular place here in the city of Portland and to be a blessing uh, to this place that's faithful presence. And then third, we grow up in a particular way, which is the image of Christ and that happens as we give ourselves to these formative rhythms of faith. Worship gathered here together is one of those rhythms. And then finally, our fourth core value is extended family. You can imagine in the top of a tree, it's, a, it's home to a diverse ecosystem, an extended family, if you will. That's what we want to be as a church, is an extended family, one to another. By the way, if you've missed any of these sermons over the past few weeks, uh, no worries. You can catch up on all of it in our podcast while you're loading the dishwasher this week. This morning, uh, we turn to that second core value after the gospel of grace that we call faithful presence. Earlier this week, I read an article in the Washington Post that was really a commentary on a book that's just come out called The Great Dechurching by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. These two authors examine why millions of Americans have left the church and what might bring them back. The authors sort dechurched Americans into two major categories. One is the casually dechurched who lost the habit of attending services because they moved or maybe don't see church as a part of their schedule anymore. And then, secondly, church casualties people who've stopped attending because of conflict or because they've experienced harm in the church. But then they're able to also sort why Americans might return to church. And it's for a variety of reasons, particularly tied to tradition. Mainstream evangelicals are looking for friendship while mainline and Catholics are more interested in spiritual practices and outreach programs. Interestingly, interestingly, they find that many dechurched Americans might return to church if they found a stable and healthy congregation. That is a congregation that's really rooted in the Lord, rooted in the gospel. And part of their advice to the church is be patient. The great dechurching didn't happen overnight. It won't be reversed quickly. So that congregations need relationship wisdom and get this, a quiet, calm, and curious demeanor. It's exactly what we mean by abiding in Christ Jesus for the renewal of all things. Well, another way of describing these authors' aspirations is what we're calling here faithful presence. And here's how we define that phrase. It's always in the front cover of the worship guide. We are committed to Portland and aspire to be a church woven into the fabric of the city. Oaks Parish is a uniquely welcoming and inclusive place. We greet our neighbors, friends, family, and co-workers with infectious hospitality, faithfully showing the love of Jesus in Portland. So to unpack that a bit more fully, we're going to look at Acts chapter 28 when Paul visits the island of Malta. And there we find three keys that I think are really interesting regarding how we live out faithful presence here in the city of Portland. We're going to look first at our need, second, our center, and third, our contribution. Need, center, contribution. We begin with our need. Uh, We go to these first, I think, 10 verses or so of Acts 28, Uh, and if you've been with Oaks Parish over the past year, you'll know that we just concluded a series in the book of Acts. You might be asking, why are we going back to the book of Acts at this point to talk about faithful presence? Well, this is actually a section that I intentionally skipped over when we looked at Acts 28 so that we could visit it this morning. You might remember at the end of Acts, Paul was accused of stirring up an insurrection at the temple in Jerusalem. He's being escorted to Rome where he will stand trial before the court of Caesar. But to get there, Paul and a Roman garrison travel by sea. And after a few stops, a storm arose that battered their ship for 14 days. So much so, it drove the ship into a reef where it broke apart. 276 passengers, by God's grace, make it safely to an unknown shore. They swim into a bay. And in that first verse, we find out that they reached the shore safely. And they learned that the island was called Malta. Now, in Greek, Malta means refuge. So let me just say this. If you're ever shipwrecked at sea, struggling for your life, trying to find safe harbor, there is nothing like an island called Refuge that would be a better place to land. So they land in just the right place, the island of Malta, the island of Refuge. Malta is about 18 miles long, 8 miles wide, just a little bit south of Italy, just a little bit north of Africa. It was originally colonized in 1000 BC by Phoenicians from their base in Africa. The people of Malta were considered on the fringes of the Roman Empire. And so they were designated barbarians. We find out in verse 2, Paul and his shipmates are not alone on that beach. But the natives, these barbarians, show up. And what do they do? Nothing harmful to Paul and his shipmates. Instead, in verse 2, it tells us that the natives showed us unusual kindness Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and they welcomed all of us around it. This is absolutely fascinating. We are about to find out all that God is going to do through Paul here in a moment on the island of Malta as a result of his faithful presence. But notice how it all begins to unfold out of Paul's need, not his gifts his weakness, not his strength. We find something similar in Luke chapter 10 in the internship program that Jesus is managing with the disciples. In verse three and four of Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out for probably one of the very first times to go out and to be ambassadors for Jesus. And he tells his disciples, go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Sounds exciting. Sounds like a great internship opportunity. Go get the coffee. And here's how the disciples will know that God is at work in the hearts of the people that they meet. Jesus says that when people help them, Some people will welcome you, others will not. And those people who invite you in are persons of peace. Jesus is telling his disciples that there are going to be people that they meet along the way who will meet their need. And as a result, the disciples will be able to recognize where God is working. The disciples didn't go through a sales training for Jesus. Jesus is making it clear that the Holy Spirit is going before them to prepare hearts. And when people meet their needs, that's how the disciples will know where God is at work. Note here that the starting point for faithful presence is our need, not our strength. And this is so antithetical to how we think here in America Because we're so much about ourselves. We're so much about our strength. We're so much about what we're going to bring to the table. And this has infected the church. In the American church, for a better part of 100 plus years, we've assumed that we've got it all figured out and we're exporting it to the world. But here we see something different. We start with our need, not with our strength when you really slow down and you think about it, this is how all of some of our best relationships in life begin. You know, you were in the sixth grade and you were new to the band and someone invited you in, in that moment of need. Your freshman year of college, you're trying to figure out life and all of a sudden you found some people that were in the same boat. Later in life, you went through a season of crisis where you just stopped pretending and you opened yourself up to others and you were vulnerable and you found people who met your need. Probably the best relationships in life begin out of our need, not out of our strength. C.S. Lewis says it like this, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what you too? I thought I was the only one. The gospel tells us that our starting point is not what we bring to God. The starting point is our great need. So, why would our relationships with others here in the city start any other way? Here's a really challenging question What would it look like to ask, not what you can do for others? but what others can do for you. Not what you can do for others, but what others can do for you. That's an obvious inversion of the great JFK line, and that's because we live in an upside-down kingdom. Paul washed ashore, the shores of Malta, not presenting his strengths, not with some sermon not with a strategy to evangelize the island. He washed ashore in great need. That's how faithful presence begins. Second is the center. Faithful presence is secondarily characterized by the center, which is what we find in the next verses, verse 3 through 6 of Acts 28. Let me read it again. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. This is comical. Pliny the Elder author and naturalist of the first century indicated in his seminal work that it was a common belief, even among the educated, that all snakes were poisonous and they were often agents of divine vengeance. One story from a Greek anthology said that a shipwrecked sailor escaped a storm at sea only to be bitten by a snake and died. So maybe the Maltese people, they had this cultural imagination. They had heard these stories. And they say, so they assume, because of the snake bite, Paul was a murderer. (laughs) This must be the God's rendering judgment. They waited for a long time. Nothing happened. And then they completely swung to the whole other end of the pendulum. They're like, this man must be a God. What's happening here? I think this is a bit of comedy on the part of Luke as the author of Acts. One minute, Paul's a criminal. The next, he's a divine being. But notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say, yes, of course, I'm a divine being. I'm here among you to bless you. Think about where God has called you to serve here in the city. Maybe it's your team at work. Maybe it's the community that you've built amongst friends and neighbors. Maybe it's your school PTA. Maybe it's the nonprofit that you volunteer for. You know, it's so easy as we're trying to follow Jesus into faithful presence that over time, we begin to be at the center. We begin to be at the center. Before we know it, we begin thinking thoughts like, where would they be without me? If I'm not there, that whole thing's going to fall apart. Even over time, we grow resentful. Don't these people see all that I've done for them? You know, that's, that's divinity sort of talk. It shows or it reveals that we're at the center. Ever so subtly, amidst faithful presence, we can begin to believe that we're the divine center that we're the one that is bringing things into the universe from nothing. That we're the ones that are upholding all things from the throne on which we reign. There's a similar story found back in Acts chapter 14, specifically in verse 15 through 17. Paul and Barnabas were together at the time. They heal a man and instantly the townspeople assumed they were God's incarnate, Zeus, And Hermes, and notice how Paul replies, friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. And notice this, we bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see what happened happened there, Paul's like, I'm not the center. It's, it's Jesus. It's this good news. It's, it's what he's done for you in comparison to these worthless things. Paul performs a healing work, but it's not a signpost for his eager ego. It, it's nothing that builds his stature. The healing was a signpost for the good news of Jesus. So it begs the question to where do your good works point? If they point back to you because you believe yourself to be the center, yes, you will feel elated when people give you praise, but you will be devastated when they don't. And over time, you will give and you will give, And you will give, and you will give. And eventually you will feel overwhelmed and burned out because you've been trying to carry out this God-sized responsibility at the center. But when you see Jesus as the center, you will be kept by his good news of everything he's done for you and everything that he is to you still. When you succeed you will give him praise for his provision he'll just be glad that you've got to be a part of this larger thing that he's doing here in the city and when you fail you will know that his death that his blood has covered over your transgression and you will serve with freedom instead of fatigue because your identity is not at stake it's secured in jesus faithful presence especially over the long haul, happens when Jesus is the center of it all. Third is our contribution. Finally, we get to that place that when we think about faithful presence is where we thought we would start, our contribution, what we bring to the table. I love how this is recounted though in Acts chapter 28. It says, now in the neighborhood of that place, Were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius. He received us, entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. And it goes on to say that many others were healed. Here's what I love about this. It tells us that all of this was unfolding in a specific location, the neighborhood of that place. It was meant for a specific person. This mayor of the island, Publius, he hosted Paul and his companions. And there, as Paul and his companions were faithfully present to Publius, this need arose. The father of Publius was sick in bed with an illness. And amidst that need, Paul raised his hand and said, "I've got gifts that can meet the moment. Just as you have welcomed us to your home, I want to welcome you to the power and to the kingdom of Jesus." Publius hosted Paul for a period of three days, and in that, we hear echoes of that time frame between Jesus' death and his resurrection. And it's through Paul's unique gifts that the realities of that resurrection are brought to need, are brought to bear in this specific place, at this specific time, with this specific people, for this specific need. Throughout this rooted series, we've been ending each sermon with three application questions that you'll find on the back of the worship guide. And the second question is this. To what community has God called you to be on mission? To what community has God called you to be on mission? And sometimes when we ask a question like that and we're thinking about faithful presence in our city, it can be overwhelming. We're talking about being on mission for God We're talking about sharing the love of Christ with those around us. All that sort of talk, that big picture talk, can be so overwhelming. And this is what I love about the picture given to us with Paul on Malta. God has given each of us specific gifts. He's placed us in a specific neighborhood, so to speak. He's led us into specific relationships. And in those relationships, He will make you aware of specific needs that, yes, uniquely you can meet with the gifts that He's given you. God isn't calling you to be overwhelmed, He's just calling you to that one place, that one thing, that one way that you can make a contribution. At my discipleship group, we've been having this, this wonderful conversation about spiritual habits and the idea of consistency rather than that big, you know, uh, go big or go home sort of mentality. It's amazing what can happen when we make a commitment to that one thing and remain faithful to that one thing. So what's that one community that you can serve with Jesus week in and week out, month in and month out. And that by this time next year, you can look back and you can see that the power of the resurrection of Christ was brought to bear in that place. I've said this before in this series, but this year, that one place for me is my son's youth football program. It's a place I can contribute. Uh, One of my coaches one day said to me, remind me of your day job. And I was like, I'm a Christian minister. He was like, oh, so everything that you're doing here, like organizing this whole thing, working with us as coaches, serving our families, this is basically what you do at church. I was like, exactly, you know. It's where I can use my gifts. It's also where I'm learning to be needy. I run around at football practice, and I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. And I had a dad confront me this week. He was like, you don't have to do everything. Just tell us what you need. But I've also been able to observe how God works as I'm standing there on the sidelines day after day, interacting with our coaches, our players, our families. A couple of weeks ago, I had a dad. We were catching up, and for about 20 minutes, he just shares with me all of these hardships that are going on in his life and i just listened and at the end of it i said you know i you know i'm a christian minister would you do you mind if i just prayed for you about all of that and he was like sure so i just prayed for him and at the end of it he looks up at me he he was emotional and he says it was so good to hear the name of Jesus. I grew up in the church, but it's been a while. It's so good to hear the name of Jesus. Imagine what could happen in our city if we just identified that one place to contribute, that we are vulnerable about our needs, not our strength, and that people all over the city were able to declare, it's so good to hear the name of Jesus. Let's pray. O oh Lord, you have taught us that without love, all our deeds are worth nothing. So send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the true bond of peace and of all virtues without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.